The Athletic. Holy Football Show. Oh my, it's another huge weekend in the Premier League and we're wrestling with the big questions. Saints Man United. Will it leave Ten Hag cursing for the right reasons again this weekend? Are Liverpool as spent as Chelsea's transfer budget? And how are they affording 60 mil on Gordon? Plus, with Isaac's move to Tyneside, are we witnessing a return Jurassic Park style to the big strikers that once roamed the plains of the Premier League? All of that plus word on Rangers in the Champions League group stages and more in this Totally Football Show. Big clock on the wall says Thursday the 25th of August, listener. And a big hello to you. Welcome to today's Totally, which features Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, hello James. A- hello. Yeah. Adrian Clark. Howdy. Hello. hello. Yeah, hi. Good. Also with us, Carl Anker. Carl. Ahoy, hoy, James. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, nice to hear the ahoy, hoy, because you, you, you're going to have to find an, another of your catchphrases has bit in the dust this week, Carl. I know. <laughs> Where's my DM? They've bought one. They bought one. Wow. Looking for a new catchphrase. Carl Anker. Adrian, you've got a new podcast, he said, segueing sweetly along there. I have, yeah. Yeah, got a cheeky little new new EFL podcast. What the EFL? So, yeah. What the Looking EFL? Looking forward to that this season. Yeah, right. What the EFL? Do you like that? I like yeah, it. Like, what, what's that yeah. then? It's a bit rude. Well, it's me, yeah, yeah. me, Matt Davis, Adam, Sam Parkin. We're um, yeah, just we just we couldn't couldn't let it go. So we're back. That with sounds a lot EFL. like the old Totally Football League show, Adrian. You've it's, essentially it's, taken the format of an existing podcast and gone up, gone off and done it on your own. Not sure I can kind of, approve kind of, of that. but hopefully we'll make it even better. So uh, yeah, because wow. we can talk about what we want, can't we? So um, yeah, we'll have a lot of fun with it. I'm sure. I remember people thinking that on another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, match day three was a real treat from start to finish. So I'm especially looking forward to uh, match day four of this Premier League season. Shall we hear what's in store? Saturday lunchtime, Man United will try and build on Monday night success against another of their historic rivals, Southampton. Then, brush up your Arabic comprehension with your pick of the three o'clock kickoffs. Liverpool licking their wounds and trying to lick Bournemouth. Chelsea Leicester. Man City against Palace, the side who of course took four points off them last season. Brentford Everton and the top five clash that is Brighton against Leeds. Tea time, behold, it's Arsenal Fulham. And then on Sunday, Wolves Newcastle, Villa West Ham and Nottingham Forest against Tottenham Hotspur. Mmm. We're going to start with Southampton Man United. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Southampton Man United is the Karl Anker derby. It's also the Luke Shaw derby, two clubs that he doesn't play for anymore, essentially. <laughs> uh, Carl, you're going you're gonna to be there at St Mary's on Saturday at lunchtime. Indeed, I will be in attendance in a game that historically, when it happens in August, tends to end in a one-all draw. Uh, this one is a, will be a curious matchup. I think Ten Hag was, was very good in, in playing in a quite pragmatic sense against Liverpool. Uh, but I don't see him repeating that trick against Southampton, or indeed I see Southampton being wise to that and, and mm. being, or in theory, should be better equipped to just defending deep and going, okay, well, if you want a counter-attack, we'll just hunker down. Um, Southampton also seem to be in a bit of a muddle tactically as well. They're supposed to be playing, you know, Russell Ball Sport 4-2-2-2, uh, but Hassan is, is playing this 
five three two with square pegs and round holes as he keeps going through very strange forms of dress. So an intriguing early kickoff, I think. Yeah, Southampton like Man United coming off a huge morale boosting two one victory last weekend. There's been a lot said about Man United's performance at Old Trafford, with Ten Hag dropping Ronaldo, Maguire and Shaw as casually as he did F-bombs post-game and getting his goalkeeper to essentially kick it as far away as possible. Was it that simple, Adrian? Was, was, was that the key? And is that the template going forward? Yeah, well, no, it's the template for that match. I wrote about that pre-kickoff, how, how they needed to do something different. Just even if it was a short-term fix to... to Avoid Liverpool just swarming all over them and, and and picking them off like Brentford did, and and they did and they did that very well. I think they were helped, weren't they, by a really depleted Liverpool team. They weren't anywhere near at it, were they? They were a pale imitation of their former selves, but but they took full advantage. And I really respected the way they went about their business. I liked the aggression. I liked the incisiveness, and and the finishing was good. It was a nice moment, wasn't it for? For Marcus Rashford, who's who's had a lot of stick, and justifiably so, because he's been so bad for so long. But but that was a really really nice finish and, and a decent performance from him and from Manchester United. So yeah, look, Southampton will test them because they're they're aggressive and they'll press them whenever they've got the opportunity. But but yeah, if Manchester United play with the same mindset again, even mm. if it's a different style, then I think that I think they can go back to back here. But it, but it won't be easy. Attitude was the biggest change then for you, uh, Adrian. How delighted were you, Carl, to see your writing partner returning to the score sheet on Monday night? And how excited are you about a possible debut for Casemiro in this game? Do you think he'll come in? And if so, for whom? First of all, very, very happy for, for Marcus Rashford. I think a lot of Manchester United fans were. That was There was a, a large feeling of relief when that goal was uh, judged to be onside by VAR, I think you could you could feel the exhale at Old Trafford and, and various televisions at home. In terms of Casemiro, I would imagine if he is you know proven match fit and whatnot, and I mean he looked very good in the Super Cup against Eintracht Frankfurt, so I I hope he's not several weeks off the pace. But I imagine the most immediate spot for him would be to come in as the uh, right-sided central midfield player uh, to play next to Fred. Fred plays at left central midfield. Christian Eriksen has been playing in a deeper position recently, but he looked particularly gassed after the 75th minute against Liverpool. And I think this might be one where Eriksen is probably going to be a substitute option. So yeah, I, I'd imagine what we're, we're going to see is Ten Hag taking Leaf out of Tite's book and playing the, the Brazilian defensive midfield pairing. Okay. I don't want to go all Ronaldo on this, but... Are his days as a, as a starter completely over now? Particularly with United looking to spend how much on Anthony or Anthony out of Ajax? Yes, it's a it's a very large figure being quoted. So something in the region of ninety four million uh, after a, a previous bid of eighty million. Ten Hag knows Anthony very very well, uh, given their time at Ajax and the fact he succeeded Hakim Ziyech. Um, he, if Anthony does become a Manchester United player, I would assume for that wage and that financial package, he would be the starting player on the right-hand side of attack, which would then, I think, would mean Jadon Sancho moves over to the left-hand side and then Marcus Rashford could either become uh, your number nine, if you wish, or, or would become a squad option. It's a move that, if it does happen, doesn't thrill me, both in terms of the fact I think it's overpay 
Uh, and the fact I think there are more pressing areas of need than buying another right-sided attacker. Uh, I had a friend describe it as a uh, a little bit too much paprika on the sandwich when you should probably get mm. some cold cuts and, and some vegetables <laughs> instead. In terms of Ronaldo, this is the... Well, I mean, we're all still waiting for that interview in two weeks where he's going to oh, reveal yeah. which were the five articles that were correct and which of the 95 articles that were incorrect. I'm assuming... Are you nervous about so. that, Carl? Oh, <laughs> terrified. Genuinely terrified. Imagine uh, if he says you're correct. You'll be, you know, <laughs> knee sliding. Pin the tweet. See? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Ronaldo's presence in the team, it was hard to do that against the Liverpool team. Because, right. I mean, for what Tenard went tactically, you, you needed young legs that wanted to press high and be that early runner on the transition whereas against Southampton where you'll probably have more than 50% of possession Ronaldo becomes more feasible tactically uh, emotionally and you know, in terms of team chemistry TBC well, we'll talk about Southampton and what that game involves in a second I'm just curious though Ten Hag as you say knows Anthony so well and he's he's been a a real prospect at the Amsterdam club for a while. But what, what does anybody know exactly what it is that Ten Hag thinks makes him worth £100 million or so? He is very good at uh, close control and, and, and weaving his way through tight situations. And he would operate as a secondary goal scorer and creator. So uh, Ten Hag... Pretty in his Ajax teams often asks his wingers to, to play inverted, to cut inside and, and shoot and whatnot. And basically, I think what he wants to do is take some of the creative burden away from Bruno Fernandes. Now, the thing is, Anthony is good at a number of things that Jaden Sancho is already good at. And you're paying 100 or close to 100 million on someone who's, who plays a bit like Jaden Sancho, but has like more pace, which is, again, a bit too much paprika. Like you, you should probably get a better right back uh, to offer more overlapping and underlapping runs, so Jaden Sancho, you know, the need for Jaden Sancho to be so quick is reduced. Maybe Jaden Sancho should do some thirteen-kilometer runs to build up his pace. <laughs> then he won't have to do it. I was very impressed by the by the reveal that uh, Eric Ten Hag joined in in a thirteen-point-eight-kilometer mm. uh, run as well. Uh, a man who wants to back up what he says. Well, United looking to go on a run with a second straight win this weekend. However, after our wildly misplaced assumptions that Liverpool were going to boss them at Old Trafford last Monday. Balak Krishnan says, need apology from those who said United against Liverpool was a foregone conclusion. Fair enough. But are we in danger of making the same mistake here? Thinking that triumphant United are going to roll down to St Mary's and do Saints. Uh, they've had seven away defeats in a row, United. Remember? Yeah. Both their meetings with Southampton last season finished 1-1. And essentially, as you guys were hinting, this is a very different kind of game. United beating Liverpool with 30% possession. They're unlikely to be able to employ the same tactics at St Mary's. Yeah, that, uh, that long away losing run, they're, they're hurtling towards the club record of, uh, of 10 in a row, which is Ooh. set in 1936 when James Milner was just a young up-and-coming midfielder. I mean, Ten Hag's the only manager in the Premier League this season to use all 15 subs, so he's definitely been experimenting as much as possible. But, yeah, I think... I'm, I still feel like Monday was a, such a sort of outlier of a game. It was almost like a, a separate a separate sport in some ways. Mm. Um, Casemiro's the big... I think if he comes in and, and plays as we know he can, then that will probably solve many, many issues. But he kind of did that off the pitch. Did anyone think on Monday night he kind of just brought an air of calm? He was just walking around and everyone was like, 
Oh, we've got Casemiro. That, everything's fine now. And in Liverpool, obviously, have got had major issues with Real Madrid in the last few years. Um, and it seemed to kind of spiritually <laughs> unnerve them as well, yeah. yeah. So, um, not sure whether he has the same effect on Southampton or if he even knows where Southampton is, but he's about to find out. It was a little bit like the scene in The, the Godfather 2, Carl. No, when Frank Pentangeli's about to spill oh, yes. the beans. And his brother turns up from Sicily and just yeah. stares at him. Stays and all of a sudden him. he goes, oh, I know nothing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you, you told me Godfather said this. So I said yes. Indeed. <laughs> Similar vibes then, Monday night at Old Trafford. Adrian? Just on Southampton, I think that we're not quite sure what we're going to get from them either, just as much as Manchester United. Ralph Hasenhutter has had a lot of stick, some of it justifiably, some not. And But he's had a really, really good week. I don't know if you've, you've sort of been across this the, the changes that he made against Leeds in the game just changed it they were tuning down to Leeds they were floundering he, he he puts on various forward players changes the shape two or three times in that match and they clamber their way back to get a point and then at Leicester well he substitutes Shea, Shea Adams came on and, and scored two and across those two matches five goals or assists from subs so he's, he's put on the right players at the right times across the last the last couple of games. So, so yeah, maybe Manchester United need to build up a lead ahead of the second half because Ralph has had some good second halves lately. So having bested tactically uh, the German Klopp, uh, Ten Hag's going to have to be on his guard against the Austrian version, as, as Hasenhutl used to be dubbed. I don't know how fair a comparison that is. He absolutely despises that nickname. Does he? On good authority. The Alpine right. Klopp. I like yeah. it. He very much dislikes it. It's from Styria, the region of Styria, so maybe the, the Styrian Dave Merrington. Um, or maybe, this, maybe that is right. I mean, in, in midweek, in the League Cup, Southampton had a player called Ballard, a youngster called Ballard, school for them. And uh, both of these defences have got the capability of an atrocity exhibition in them. So let's, um, let's hope for some sort of action. Nice. Uh, meanwhile, Ten Hogs f- play good football. Wasn't the only curse people were talking about after Monday night's result? At Old Trafford, with clever folk saying, are Liverpool doing a Dortmund? Klopp's seventh season curse, yo. Let's talk about Liverpool and their clash with Bournemouth next. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Yeah, Monday taught us if anything, that it's dangerous to jump to conclusions. So, are Liverpool about to collapse like Dortmund did in Klopp's final season? Uh, Tushar Achaya says, is this a blip for Liverpool? Do they have deeper problems? James Santh Cooney says, are they in danger of doing a Dortmund and tailing off? Here's Prasanna Patel saying, are we seeing the fall of Virgil van Dijk? From gracious to average centre-back, he had a bad game against Mitrovic, didn't block Sancho's goal. Easily got turned over by Martial for Rashford's goal. Out of position and walked, stroke, jogged most of the game. What's going on for Liverpool, who did not look Monday like a Jurgen Klopp side? Duncan. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the, the the quick and easy conclusion is they've got tons of injuries and that's going to make a, a short-term impact. And um, everyone knows that, you know, they've got kind of no real midfielders in that middle peak age Uh sport anymore. I mean, they essentially had a midfield at, at Old Trafford where one of the players was playing Premier League football by, while one of his colleagues hadn't even been born yet, which is not a classic kind of age mix for me. 
But I think also with the departure of Sadio Mane, they they are shifting formation a little bit. They're slowly trying to. It's kind of an experimental few games really for them. You know, Salah's been quite isolated. I think relatively. The press isn't there. Firmino just can't press anymore. Liverpool have made the joint fewest high turnovers in the Premier League so far this season. And I know it's only three games in, but that isn't what you expect from a Jurgen Klopp team. So there's definitely issues. I think there's sort of short-term issues that, that will be alleviated. You know, could be alleviated by buying someone, but I, I doubt they will. But I do think this is what teams have to do. You know, this is what Alex Ferguson was great at doing, is kind of evolving teams as time went on. Pep Guardiola has done it well, and to be fair to Klopp, he's done it well over the, you know, over the, his time at Liverpool. But if you think about it, Liverpool, have never they're only finished in the top two in consecutive seasons once since the early nineties. So they do tend to have like a spell of you know finishing top, and then they finish third the next season. You know, last season they came so close to win the league, they do tend to find it difficult to kind of um, maintain that for two seasons in a row. And I think that's probably kind of where we are and it's funny because if you think two years ago um, it was the start of the 2020-21 season do you remember everyone was obviously Liverpool lost conceded seven at Villa there were all those strange results Leicester scored five at, at, at Man City and everyone was like the, the Premier League's it's fully egalitarian nothing's the same and people there's kind of similar vibes this season and then if you actually look at what happened at the end of the season it was pretty much the same top four as normal so mm. I think we are sort of jumping to conclusions a little bit but this does feel a bit like that sort of season where you know early early season is is kind of quite tumultuous and there will be a couple of big teams who really are on the rack um, and Liverpool seem to be one of those. Okay, uh, behind Liverpool's problems last time they had that kind of season was the absence of Virgil Van Dijk. What what's happened to him, Adrian? It's hard to put your finger on it, but he looked like he was playing in a daze at Old Trafford. It were his mind wasn't on the job. I think that was sort of epitomised by by the goal from Sancho where he stands with the hands behind his back just blocking the keeper and no other part of the goal. It was bizarre, wasn't it, that he didn't make any attempt to sort of narrow the angle and, and to get in his face. It was and and then of course he was he was beaten to the punch by Martial for the second goal as well. It, it, his mind didn't look in the game and, and that is a very hard thing. To, to explain he's still got pace he's mm. still got unbelievable strength he's still pure class but if your if your head isn't in the game you're not going to to be anywhere near your best are you and and that that you could you could say that about a number of the Liverpool players in that match it was a very very strange performance as Prasanna points out though it wasn't an isolated case with Van Dijk no. this season he's not looked uh, convincing in any of the matches D- so far. Dived in on, dived in on Mitrovic, didn't he, for that penalty? Yeah, he, he's. Who knows? We, we all, none of us are perfect. We all go through, we all go through these dodgy spells, and yeah, I, I can't see it being a terminal decline for Virgil Van Dijk. No chance. A key thing about Virgil Van Dijk is his body control. Virgil Van Dijk makes a number of defending decisions that an average defender would not do, or or are bad for an average defender, and he waits a lot longer. To, to engage an attacker because he trusts himself and he's just like, well, I, I'm strong enough and quick enough that I know the exact precise moment to stick a leg at. The, the Mitrovic penalty was unusually clumsy for him and I think he, he got done by just the quicker change of feet of Mitrovic who can be deceptively fast. Uh, I think the, the Sancho goal is what Van Dijk normally does, which is I'm not going to engage with you. I'm going to try and block off half of the goal, which is what Liverpool have been doing very well ever since 1819. It's actually... They nicked it from Sean Dyche's Burnley, where instead of engaging the attacker on a cross, one defender basically drops deep and covers one post, 
Allison covers the middle and the other defender covers the other post. So then you just squeeze the space in which a player has to shoot into. Why, why think, was Milner so upset with him then? I think Milner is upset because he's told Van Dijk that you can't do that right now. You know, they're, it's essentially Liverpool aren't in a state where you can do that. And I think a lot of the, I think the question mark, why is Van Dijk not doing so well? is because, well, he's playing next to Joe Gomez. He's playing next to, he's gone from playing next to Matip to playing next to Joe Gomez and his defensive partners that keep changing. And how, Matt, how Van Dijk has to play is very different based on who his defensive partner is. He can he can engage quicker or later depending on who the person next to him is. And Gomez is, I thought he was a fantastic defender a couple of years ago, but he, he seems to... Well, just... Indeed. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think Matip's the most underrated player in, in the Premier League in some respects. But also, we mentioned the Villa 7-2. The central defence for Liverpool that day was Van Dijk and Joe Gomez. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Van Dijk's injury obviously came a few weeks later at Goodison. So it's not it's not unheard of for Liverpool with this defence. Uh, I mean, that defence against Villa was Robertson, Van Dijk, Gomez and Alexander-Arnold. So it's not unheard of that that defence can, can suffer these early season uh, meltdowns. In terms mm. of Van Dijk's head being in a haze, I mean, that that's why Jordan Henderson is such a good captain for Liverpool. There are two or three games, especially when he's not there. And you can see Van Dijk is more likely to go into haze because he needs a gobby so-and-so to yell at him to, to switch back on. I think Henderson looked very poor in the early first 20 minutes against Manchester United. He cannot play as the deepest lying midfielder against every single Premier League team now. That has to be a certain opportunity. And I think, yeah, James Milner is in the year of our law, 2022, probably shouldn't be asked to play box-to-box football. Hmm. All right. Liverpool had six players aged 30-plus in their starting eleven at Old Trafford. This time around, they're going to be facing Scott Parker's Bournemouth Back at Anfield, their fortress. No visiting manager has won at Anfield since uh, check notes. Ooh, uh, Scott Parker, actually, uh, with Fulham back in March 2021. But that kind of proves the point, I guess, of what we've been saying, is that obviously that that win for Scott Parker at Anfield was the end of that bizarre run where Liverpool lost six in a row. They, they hadn't lost for, for a few years before that run, and they haven't lost their since. So they do... When it goes kind of wrong for Liverpool, it does sort of go in these kind of, you know, huge, de- hmm. depressing bursts and then they sort of bounce back. Do you fancy Bournemouth in any way uh, this weekend? And kind of last thing on this, I guess, do you still think Liverpool are City's main rivals this season? I do. Yeah, I still do. And I think that they will come back quickly. I don't think this will be prolonged. It's hard to judge them when they're, they're, they're missing Jota, they're missing Darwin Nunes, hmm. Canate, Matip, Thiago, etc. They they had nothing to change it with, did they, uh, from the bench, really. They are they are severely depleted. I think they'll be all right. The, the performance in the first half against Crystal Palace was absolutely like a Liverpool of last season, by the way. That that half, they, they, they tore into Palace, a good Palace team, and could easily have scored three goals. They just missed a few chances and then it all went a little bit pear-shaped with the red card and, and, and general frustration. So there were signs of real life there. They just need to, to get back to it. Maybe this is the match to kickstart their season. All right. City, meanwhile, will be uh, facing themselves. Crystal Palace, the team, as mentioned, who took four points off them last season, three of them coming in a 2-0 victory at the Etihad. Palace come into this game on the back of a fine performance, roaring back from a goal down to defeat Aston Villa 3-1 last weekend. Wilfred Zaha is in... Uh, well, he's on fire, isn't he, in the kind of popular in the popular saying. 
big tactical question here, Adrian. Will Wackham Anderson wind up Erling Haaland like he did <laughs> Darwin Nunez? Uh, it's worth a try, isn't it? Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, so he went for the bait so easily, didn't he, Darwin Nunez? That was so bad on his part. So yeah, look, he'll give it a go. Um, but I think Erling ha- Haaland would be wise to it. I like Anderson, by the way. So he's a good passer of the ball. Those long raking passes to the wings, often to Zaha, give them such a good outlet. And especially in a game like this, where City will pile on the pressure, they will put a lot of players forward and they'll have these inverted fullbacks, won't they, in midfield. What it means is there'll, there'll be gaps down the sides. So if Anderson has a little bit of time and space to pick out these balls, Zaha and, and Ayu could could be in business and... And they've got previous, haven't they, in this fixture. There's a great stat from, from Opta that came out this week. Um, City have only lost two the last 54 Premier League games kicking off at 3pm on a Saturday. And both of them uh, against Palace. Quite no. remarkable. So, yeah. So, so they'll be devastated about the kickoff time, first and foremost. Um, and, yeah, can, can they get their minds around that? Around wow. that, that possible hat trick. There'll be Guardiola will be banning clocks in the stadium. Like, what time is it, Catholic? Four or something. I mean, there is, just on a general point, there's a quite yeah. weird energy to this weekend in the Premier League because normally, in a normal season, you play three games and then it's the international break. So normally Liverpool would have had to stew on that, that defeat Old Trafford for, for two weeks. Now, we've not only got this weekend, there's a whole midweek set of games next, mm. uh, next midweek as well. So... Because of the strange World Cup uh, season, we, it is a slightly different start, and I wonder what, what you know what effect that might have. Mm. More big questions about match day four on the way. Next up, let's touch on some of the football that happened this midweek with a nod to the League Cup and especially Rangers in Eindhoven. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Thursday for us, listener. Later this evening, it's the Champions League draw for the group stages. We're going to be live streaming our reaction for you on the Athletic's Twitter feed and also on the Athletic's YouTube channel. 32 teams. Who's going to get who? Well, the exciting news is that post-Wednesday night, Rangers are in amongst those 32 after their 1-0 win at PSV Eindhoven. Benitez from Alio is under pressure here. From Malik Tillman, he's got Cholak alongside him. Rangers have the goal that they have been craving. And Antonio Cholak tries open the gates to the Champions League for Rangers. Jordan Campbell was there to see the game and he joins us now. Jordan, hello. First of all, what a, what a night. Yeah, what a night indeed. Um, I, I don't think many people, you know, thought Rangers could go to, to Eindhoven and put in a performance like that. But I think <laughs> I think people are learning not to write off this Rangers team when it comes to Europe now. So, um, no, it was a, an amazing night and a massive, massive result for for the club financially in terms of the, the sort of medium to long term plans for the club. So, 10 years, um, they've gone for the, the bottom division of Scottish football to to a European final and then back to the, the, the top competition in Europe. So it's been a busy 10, 15 years at Rangers, but um, that's them, you know, back at the, the top table. Um, and I, I think that's a massive, massive boost to them in terms of what they can plan for going forward um, for the rest of the window, but also for the, the infrastructure of the club. Mm. It was an incandescent atmosphere there that, that that greeted them. Although they'll be they'll be used to that. Intriguingly, they went to this game without their record goal scorer in Europe. In what looked like a, a risky decision from Giovanni van Bronckhorst to leave uh, Alfredo Morelos back at home, but instead Antonio Cholak doing the business. Yeah, you know that's um, five goals in six games for Cholak. So um, you know he's not Alfredo Morelos in that. He can do, you know, a bit of everything and he can get you 60 yards up the park just single-handedly with strength. He's he's not an all-round an all-round striker like Morelos, but he does what it says in the tin and that's score goals. Albeit it was a tap-in from uh, for four yards out, but um I can think of one or two people who might have um, who might have made a mess of that. But um no, I think it was um he's had a great start to his career at, at Rangers because after the first couple of of games, he had barely touched the ball the first couple of starts that he made, and it was unsure whether it was you know poor movement or whether it was just players weren't understanding his movement. So I think um, the longer that they that he's here and the lo- the the quicker that his um his teammates can can understand his movements, I think he'll he'll probably develop that side of his game even more. But in terms of the goals, I don't think he can ask for anything more than, than five and six. Um, and he's obviously been under a bit of pressure with, with Morelos um, left behind and uh, Kemal Roof injured as well. He's the only sort of recognised striker they've got. So um, now he's really stepped up and, you know, he dumped them out of the Champions League last year when he was with Malmo and then he's yeah. put them through this year. So, um, yeah, it's worked well. <laughs> yeah, two goals for Malmo against Rangers last year to uh, send them into the Europa League where, of course, they went all the way through to the final, signed for just 1.8 million. So that's what? About 2% of what United are about to spend on Anthony. Extraordinary stuff. Anyway, 12 years later, Rangers back in the Champions League group stages. And just to finish off, Jordan, I mean, they've shown, you mentioned this, that they can challenge whoever's in front of them across a two-legged European knockout tie at least and presumably in the group stages too so Van Bronckhorst's record 
uh, Dortmund, Dunn, Red Star Belgrade, Tick, Braga, Leipzig, Union Saint-Gilles and now PSV. Rangers coming through against all, all six of them. Oh, it's, it's, it's incredible um, what Van Bronckhorst has, has done in Europe so far. Domestically in the league, you know, there's still questions to be answered as to has he got the right balance. But when it comes to Europe, he seems to be the, the master tactician in terms of um, getting the right balance and the right approach to games. Because I think some people were, were concerned that without the Ibrooks factor in the second leg to, to really come from behind and do what they've done against, you know, Leipzig and Braga and um, uh, Royal Union as well. You know, I think people worried um, about Wednesday's game, whether they would misjudge it, but I think he got it spot on again. And, you know, talk about the step up in, in level for Rangers when they go to the Champions League. You know, Rangers have faced teams like Porto, Benfica, Braga, Leverkusen, um, Leon, Leipzig. So I don't think there's any um, shortage of experience when it comes to to top European sides. Um, obviously, and, and I mean, the last four years, they've had 27 knockout <laughs> uh, qualifying games. So um, when it comes to tension and when it comes to pressure, they're, they're pretty well versed in it. Um, and it seems to really bring out the best in them. So I think with Ibrox, it's became it's become a big uh, a bit of a fortress again for, for Rangers. So... I think with with the group stage that um, you know looking at those three home games, I think they'll fancy their chances against you know pot two and pot three teams, and it depends on the look of the draw whether you know I'm sure some fans will want quite a, a glamorous one whether it's you know a trip to the Bernabe or or, or the new camp, but um, I, I don't think fans will be going on just for a just for a jolly. I think they want to go and compete, um, and I don't see why they they can't compete well um, given what they've done the last three or four years. Absolutely. Jordan, happy travels then, and uh, safe return from Eindhoven. Oh, thanks very much. I'll try. There's a there's no trains over here, but I think they're um, they're a bit kinder at, at making sure you get <laughs> you get to where you're going um, compared to if I was back home. So um, hopefully I'll get <laughs> hopefully I'll make it. <laughs> Excellent. So Rangers joining. Celtic in Thursday's draw. It's the first time in 15 years that two Scottish teams will be in the Champions League group stage. If you're hearing this, listener, on Thursday afternoon, then you might wish to join us a little bit later on when, along with the Totally Football Show Euro crew, Horncastle, Lorenz, Alva Romeo, and hopefully a bit of Honigstein too, will be on the Athletics Twitter and YouTube channels with live reaction to who gets whom. If you are listening post-Thursday or have something better to do with your time around 7 o'clock, on Thursday, then you can just catch up with the special bonus podcast, which we'll be releasing on Friday. Hmm. All right, back home, it was Carabao Cup midweek. Adrian, Ben Hayes has got a question for you. I would love Adrian to predict who from the EFL will have the deepest cup run. Well, putting you on the spot there, Adrian, I can tell you that uh, who's still through? Bristol City are. Oh, they put Wickham out, Duncan. Stevenage, Charlton. Bristol City will be taking on Lincoln. MK Dons are up against Morecambe. Newport of League Two are up against Leicester in the next round. Sheffield Wednesday visits Saints. Brentford will be hosting Gillingham. Hmm. Uh, and then there's loads of... Uh, the round three draw has obviously been done. There's loads of big big Premier League clashes like Man City against Chelsea and Man United, Aston Villa and Arsenal Brighton. Ooh, that should be tasty. What, mm. what I will say is that the yes. draw has given yep. EFL sides real hope, I think, of going deep, deep into the competition because, it, yeah, an incredible amount of all all Premier League matches. Obviously, Chelsea against Manchester City is, is the standout one. So, 
So yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Um, who's going to who's going to go the furthest? Mm. Oh, wait and goodness, see. That's goodness yeah. Me. yeah, Brist- Bristol City are, are, are an interesting team okay. under Nigel Pearson. They've got a chance, but I, 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 yeah, it's hard, it's a hard one to call at this stage. Sorry. All right. I should also mention Blackburn are through. They're going to be visiting West Ham in round three, and Crawley as well qualified for the next round after KOing Fulham. That's <laughs> earned them a trip to Burnley. Uh, oh, speaking of Fulham, your Saturday tea time fixture back in the Premier League is Arsenal hosting the Cottagers. Here's a question. What was number one the last time Fulham won at Arsenal? I'm going to guess Westlife. Glenn Miller. Uh, YMCA. None of the above because they've never won it. They've never uh, won it. The Gunners. It was a you're out of order, James. Is it? <laughs> so you could argue that everything was at number one in a kind of multi. That's not how it works. I don't know. Well, the, the time is a flat circle. That's not how department. that works. If it right. goes the extra time, it's not a draw. <laughs> okay. Uh, Adrian, you're going along to see what could thus potentially be a very historic, uh, uh, historic match. It could be, yeah. And... Look, there are good vibes at Arsenal at the moment, so so there'll be real confidence that they can pick up a fourth straight win. And uh, and yeah, lots lots to like about Arsenal, but Fulham could be dangerous opponents. I've been really surprised at their change of style actually, mm. because in the Championship they were a possession team. Okay, I think they had the second highest number of passes, and then suddenly they've now got the fewest number of passes in the Premier League. They're not that interested in having the ball. It's all about pressing and the midfield guys, inspired by the new guy, João Paulinha, sort of ferreting away in the midfield to break up the ball and then launch these sort of transition attacks. And they've been very good at it so far. Very good. And uh, and when they put the ball into the area for Mitrovic, he's proved That's the business. That, that he he is he is definitely good enough for the Premier League. A few stats for you. He's, he's won seven more aerial duels than anyone in the Premier League. Seven more than Ivan Tony, who's second. Only one player's had more touches in the opposition box than Fulham's Mitrovic. Fulham, who basically don't have that much of the ball. Um, and that's Gabriel Jesus. So he's, he's got this penetration. He's had the most shots this season, 15. I think he had eight at the weekend against uh, against Brentford. And, in, and predictably, he's had the most headed shots, seven already couple ahead of Harry Kane. So look, if Fulham can get into Arsenal's half on those transitions and put the ball into the box, they've got a guy there that, that is pretty dangerous, I've got to say. And it makes me nervous to think about Zinchenko, who's been brilliant, isolated at the far post with Mitrovic steaming in behind him because he's very good at peeling onto the opposite fullback, Mitrovic. So that, that makes me a little bit nervous. I, I think this could be more competitive than a lot of people think. Yeah, I made a couple of predictions at the start of the season. One, that Mitrovic would, would score more goals than Haaland. They're level at Oof. the moment, so that's going right. But I also said that every team, this will be the first ever season in English football history where every top-flight team had a pass completion rate of more than 75%. And mm. it's looking quite good, apart from, as Adrian hinted there, Fulham, who've gone back to basics and uh, you know, and, and they're going to ruin the whole thing. So Mitrovic <laughs> better keep scoring, is all I can say. Mm. By the way... Who wants to know what was number one last time Arsenal did win their first four games of the season? It was 18 I'm, years ago. Yeah. Mm, I'm going to guess Westlife again. 
<laughs> it wasn't Westlife, actually, no. I'm looking at the number ones from 2004 and uh, really not familiar with any of these. Uh, you've got um, Baby Cakes, remember that? Remember that? Oh, Baby yeah. Cakes, let you know. It wasn't that, though. Uh, it had just oh. been replaced by uh, Natasha Bedingfield with these words. Uh, just take the number one spot off it. How, how did that one go? These words. These words are my friend. Na, 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 na. And mm. then there's, a, there's a, I love you, I love you, I love you. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's popular with the TikTok people. Is it? Yes. Is it? Yes. Natasha Bedingfield. Lovely, 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 lovely eyes. Very nice woman. Have you met her, Carl? Have indeed. I was nodding. Sorry, Duncan. Just looking, yeah, the two number ones by McFly in that year, which for me devalues uh, the Invincibles. But <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> for you and you alone, Duncan. It, it well, we'll see. <laughs> now, one of the stories of last weekend in the Premier League was Leeds three-nil victory over Chelsea. This time, Leeds are at Brighton, while Chelsea host Leicester. I'm more intrigued by Brighton Leeds, I'm going to be honest. But a lot of people are excited to talk about Chelsea Leicester. Let's see if we can squeeze them both in. First of all, Brighton Leeds, fifth against third. How much are you enjoying these two teams? Very much so. It's kind of like a Potter and Jesse Marsh. It's like a very 18th century sort of uh, English intellectualism against sort of American freedom. Um, they're both, <laughs> both going for that approach. But I think the, the Leeds-Chelsea game last weekend was... It felt like a real sort of shaking off of a lot of last season's um, kind of the the weighing down. It was a it was a constant battle. Even when Marsh put together that sort of you know forgotten but impressive sort of five or six game unbeaten run, which essentially was what what kept Leeds up, it still felt like the fans weren't on his side. Um, but the, you know this feels like a, a new a new team, and I think they have looked really good. But in, it sounds funny to say, but going away to Brighton is one of the hardest tests you can get in English football these days. Um, and it will be really interesting because, you know, Graham Potter is a man that almost prepares individually for, for every single game. So he'll have, he'll have definitely taken a lot of notice of that, of that match. I think this is probably the most interesting game of the, of the weekend, uh, bar none. Brian have been brilliant. I mean, the eye test, they're, they're just sensational. When you're looking at them play, the, the way they're breaking it up, the way they're attacking at speed, they absolutely annihilated Newcastle and and I think we all agree that Newcastle are pretty good these days we saw that against Manchester City we saw how dangerous they can be how on the opening weekend of the season against Forest they didn't give anything away at the back yet Brighton just created chance after chance it was really unlucky that they only got a point out of that game so so yeah I've been so impressed with Brighton who of course have lost Basuma this summer, who, who who was a star man for them. But yeah, Leeds, Leeds I think, I have my doubts over Jesse Marsh, but they're, you know, those doubts are sort of fading away now. That It looks actually like he might be, have been the ideal person to follow Bielsa because of the, the energy and fitness that he demands of his team. They're so aggressive, aren't they? Just ridiculously aggressive with the way they, they fly into tackles and they charge around here, there and everywhere. They're going to be really difficult to play against, I think, this season particularly at Ellen Road, can they replicate that sort of vibe on the road? That, that, is, that is what we're sort of looking for now. I think that's the next step for this team. Mm. They've never won in their eight previous visits to the Amex. They've only won one of their last 11 meetings with the Seagulls. 
Brighton midweek using the League Cup to blood their new signing, Dennis Undav, against Forest Green. Leeds, meanwhile, gave uh, a full debut to Luis Sinistera. There's a name that headline writers can conjure with, no? Sinistera. <laughs> uh, and he stole the show in Leeds' victory over Yorkshire rivals Barnsley. Uh, he won a penalty, uh, set up another goal, and scored the other. So pretty good for the Colombian winger. Mm. Very, very good player for final last season. Was sort of their their highlight, uh, his partnership with Tyrone Malassia down that left-hand side in their Europa Conference League uh, run. Uh, so yeah, he should be a starter for Leeds by the time the World Cup is concluded. Hmm. Okay. Ooh, let's talk about Chelsea then, who came a cropper at Ellen Road last weekend. Uh, they're facing Leicester in a game which has got Duncan Doom written all over it. But it's for just... whom? <laughs> well, I can reveal it was dot, dot, dot. Maybe both teams. Oh, um, really? Obviously, Chelsea are in... I mean, it's very hard to get a grip on Chelsea at the moment. Um mm. At the least, their uh, their transfer business. We don't know uh, mm. at the time of recording whether Anthony Gordon is happening. Um, it's a spending boom. It is. It's mm. it's kind of kind of reminiscent slightly of the summer uh, two thousand three when Abramovich took over and they did sort of right. flit around the Premier League buying you know a lot of players. Well, so just to put some numbers on this, they've already spent close to one hundred and ninety million this summer. They're within about fifty million of the record, but. Suggestions are that they're going to spend about another 150 million, is this right, on Gordon? 60 million for Gordon, 70 million for Wesley Fofana, and whatever the, the change would be for Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Out of those three deals, which one leaves your jaw most heading to the floor? Gordon. I mean, he got the same number of Premier League goals as Timo Werner last season, so maybe there's a <laughs> for like there. But it just, it just feels. It's, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're into sort of long-term scouting or, you know, hidden gems or just you've got a lot of money to spend it. It just does seem like one of the most unusual transfers I think anyone can remember. But, you know, it could work out really well. And it also feels like Leicester just will be there, you know, with their heads down, feeling a bit sad because they don't get to sign anyone anymore. Um, you know, Rodgers has made the fewest substitutions in the Premier League this season. They're just... It feels a very strange club at the moment. Um, you know, they've they've sold Schmeichel, which is fair enough. He's been there for a long time, but but Ward's already on the lowest goals prevented. He's on minus two point eight, and I don't think he's really the man to step up. So they they've surely got to do something in the next few few days, Leicester, in the next week, before the transfer window closes. But it doesn't seem like there's there's much movement there. Mm. What what is it about Gordon that has made Chelsea reportedly? ready to make him the fourth most expensive player in history? There is a clip going around social media of Gordon when he played against Chelsea earlier in the season, just making a very long pressing run from three or four players. And it's one of those sort of, you can imagine Tuchel looking at a young man doing that run going, oh, he's got lungs. I can, I can build around that. But it's one of those things of, I mean, that's supposed to be Mason Mount's job. The sort of constant 
you know, perpetual motion machine. You can go from being an eight to go to being a 10 and can play in, in a number of attacking roles. So I don't quite get this Gordon deal, especially for 60 million. It is, it is uh, tactically perverse. He scored four goals, hasn't he, in the Premier League? Um, if he'd scored fourteen goals in that period, I'd probably still be saying, "Oh, it's a little bit pricey." That, you know, in I don't even wise, think he's. <laughs> I don't even think Tuchel wants him to score fourteen goals. I think he he is to be another very very good off the ball engine. Because and this, is it Papika on the sandwich again, Carl? Is it? I think he's. I what oh, mayonnaise. Just, like a well, lot, just slathering on mayonnaise on, on a sandwich that, pickle, yeah, again, yeah. needs more cold cuts. Man, so. oh, I'm yeah. warming to that <laughs> idea. Well, £190 million so far spent by Chelsea, only to then lose 3-0 at Ellen Road. Uh, they've only won two of their last seven games at home. Good Lord. They haven't been good at home for a long time. Very vulnerable, I think. Last season, um, both teams scored at Stamford Bridge more often than at any other stadium in the country. So the days of, of them winning with a clean sheet sort of feel quite quite a long way away. And that's the, that's the sort of vision I think we have of two because Chelsea, they do enough. But but that actually hasn't been the case for a while at, at Stamford Bridge. Mm. On their spending, like, I don't want to be the spending police here, but is it allowed? Like, like I know that FFP is kind of dead, but I did read something this mm. week that UEFA have got a watch list and that mm. none of the Premier League teams are in the top 10, but Arsenal are on their radar. And I'm like, well... Okay, I mean, Chelsea are very good at Chelsea? selling players. Right? Mm. And they're very good at selling players and getting players off the books. So you imagine, you know, mm. the, the loan deal for Lukaku, that's yeah. that off the books for a little bit. Although they did uh, spend about 100 million on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think in that sort Equally, of Equally, Timo view, Werner has been a loss, significant loss as well. Yes. They're also very good at just selling academy prospects and whatnot oh yeah okay so yeah but Chelsea Chelsea are one of the better teams among the top six at, at making the b- books look good to the accountants mm. so I think that's okay for FFP in terms of the home record I think what we're looking at is basically can N'Golo Conte be trusted to play 25 to 30 league games a season anymore because I think the last time he played more than 30 league games is I think Antonio Conte or maybe sorry, might have been mm, well, Chelsea season, manager. Think, yeah. So it was number one, don't you? Um, <laughs> no, don't worry. Leicester's <laughs> reputation, right? And I, and I think, it, especially in that Leeds game, a, a midfield, a central midfield pivot of Jorginho and Carlo Ganago is not good enough for for a Leeds opposition. Uh, Loftus Cheek at this right wing back situation is okay if you want to play this as sort of inverted fullback or inverted wingback system that everyone wants where he sort of comes inside but they are they do need another body next to Jorginho and mm. normally that's Kovacic but Conor Gallagher what he offers he's not really a creative passer get big Ant Gordon in there box to box that could be it that really could be, could be it, it. <laughs> this mm. this fix is interesting so I think it, it is very much like the the long tail of the mid 2010s is coming to an end. You know, Leicester obviously won the title in incredible circumstances. You know, Chelsea then went, oh, let's buy Angola uh, Kante and, and uh, Danny Drinkwater. Mm. One of those maybe worked out better than the other. But it, it does feel like, you know, that that effectiveness of, of Kante, as Carl was saying, is, is, has been now hampered by what seems like too many injuries. I'm very, very loath to go here, but Jamie Vardy hasn't started the season very well. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
cue hat trick, but um, it yeah, it does feel like the, that sort of you know the last time Chelsea won the league was 2017. Leicester obviously did it the season before. These two, mm. I can't see either of these two clubs doing it anytime soon. There you go. All right. What about Spurs? They're going to be at Nottingham Forest. Possibly another busy day for Dean Henderson, who has been the most occupied Premier League goalkeeper so far. 18 saves in three matches. Forest, who had a 3-0 win at Grimsby in the Carabao Cup midweek and gave runouts to New Sunnings Remo Freuler and Emmanuel Dennis. Uh, there you go. Be interesting to see if they, or indeed former Forest player Jed Spence, will see action this weekend at the City Ground. That's 430 on Sunday. Looking forward to reviewing that on Monday. Next up, let's deal with the other Premier League games, including the only team in England's top four divisions yet to score a goal. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Only team in England's top four divisions yet to score a goal. The only team yet to register a point in the Premier League. And they are, Adrian? West Ham United. Why? <laughs> just a bit tired, aren't they? It's just a bit, I don't know. I think they, they need an injection of, of something new, something Ooh. different. Um, maybe Lucas pa- Paqueta might be the guy from Leon. Nice. Yeah. We're working on that, aren't they? It does feel like the Rice-Suchek axis just maybe right. needs a little bit of uh, jazzing up. And uh, Paqueta will do that. And I think that they can make a three. And he he's a dynamic sort of box-to-box guy, quite powerful, good technically as well. Mm. So, yeah, I think he, he could be someone that really, really enlivens them. But, yeah, um, Moisey isn't quite sure, I don't think, where to take his team at the moment. He's got Skamaka, he's got Cornet, but don't know whether he knows what his best eleven is yet. He's just he's finding his way. Well, the potential move for Paqueta has sparked uh, possibly Tweet of the Week from Cy Lloyd. Did you see mm. this, Duncan? Did see that. One of those tweets, you're like, yeah, good, good work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was... A- it was referring to West Ham's potential midfield. It was a picture of a packet of rice. <laughs> see what you say. See what you say. I mean, just on West Ham, they have been fading for longer than you know. Obviously, they did concentrate on on Europe for much of the spring, but their only wins since February were home to Villa, home to Everton, who Everton were terrible away from home last season, and away to Norwich, um, which were who were Norwich. Um, so it's it's kind of been in the post, I think, the start. And, it, yeah, it does kind of needs to, to turn around pretty quickly. A word on the, the Rice-Suchik partnership. Mm. They, they were so effective in, in 1920 and 2021 because essentially Rice was the deepest-lying player and Suchik was the one who, who was attacking, making those late runs into the box. But as Rice has developed and become a better football player, he's essentially, un, you know, destabilise that relationship. Declan Rice keeps talking about how he wants to be a complete midfield player and wants to be more like Yaya Torre. Um, Yaya Torre was best, I mean, the very first football tactic I properly understood was when uh, Roberto Mancini would bring on Nigel de Jong so Yaya Torre can play further forward. Uh, And I think that's that's what you're getting to the situation in that you sort of change the situation of who runs forward. And now there's just a, a bigger hole in, in West Ham's engine room, and they probably could do with with another player to to, to sit deep as Declan Rice goes forward. Hmm. So, are you saying there's too much paprika on Rice these days? I believe so. <laughs> hmm. uh, Villa 
who, as you mentioned, beaten by West Ham last season, will be hosting the Hammers this time around. All three of Villa's Premier League goals so far have been either scored or assisted by Ollie Watkins, hmm. which might make them an easy side to decipher. I'm not sure. We shall see. Elsewhere, Saturday, 3 o'clock, we'll see Brentford taking on Everton, the Frank Derby. The Bees, you may recall, did the double over Everton last season. Everton uh, playing at the Brentford Community Stadium in this. They've only won two of their last 22 Premier League away games. Only the top two, I've got more facts on this, only the top two have scored more goals than Brentford this season, while only Wolves and West Ham have scored less than Everton. Mm. Looks looks cut and dried, Adrian. <laughs> Does it? Uh, yeah, you'd have to fancy the bees. They look good. They're settled, aren't they? They've got... It just doesn't really change it. And why Why would he? They're, they're ticking along very, very nicely, aren't they? So what I find remarkable is that personnel-wise, it's still remarkably similar to the, to the championship days. He, he's not felt the need to really go in with that many supposedly you know superior reinforcements he's, he's just got a team and it and it's working what i will say about everton is that despite all the doom and gloom and there's loads of it um, iwobi is doing really well in a new position hmm. in central midfield and and i remember seeing him as a kid and thinking this guy can definitely be a midfielder because he sometimes got used in a, in a three there and, and was pro- normally better than when he was a winger and uh yeah he's He's like a ball winner at the moment. He's, I'm he's the guy that's... I've been shouting it for years. Have you? Have Alex really? Orobi has always been a number eight. I understand, you know, he had his time playing on the wing and he's had his time playing as a 10. Up and I think that's well, because... Well, at one point. And yeah. I think, you know, I think part of that is because, I mean, black players often get pushed into to wide positions because of the, oh, well, you're quick and you're strong. You're, you, you can do this and, and, and whip it in. But he is always... Always look well suited to be a ball-winning number eight, and I'm so happy that it's going well. Uh, I think I once described him as playing football as if he's wearing a rucksack, uh, so now I rescind that insult <laughs> and say I'm very happy that you are playing very well as a number eight. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Got quite a lot of baggage to carry with Everton, to be nice. fair. To him, so. Wee. Nice. Uh, Wolves. In the other game uh, taking place this weekend are hosting Newcastle. Wolves haven't scored with their last 40 shots. My word, that's a lot. While Newcastle have reacted to the twang of Callum Wilson's hamstring last weekend by making, or are about to make, not sure, a new club record signing. Who is it? Step forward, Sweden and Rail Sociedad striker Alexander Izak. £60 million worth of him. Carl, he's huge, and so is this move, and you're very excited. Very excited. He's six foot three. Uh, I've got four here, three. but I'm not going to quibble. <laughs> six foot three, and it's sort of the he is the archetype of the new tall, skilled target man. Uh, imagine a really tall Ollie Watkins or <laughs> a uh, a slightly stretched out Jamie Vardy, and then you can get Isaac there. So even though well, it's one of the things he's quite tall, but he's not great with his back towards goal. And his hold-up play isn't great. But in terms of pace, skill moves, running the channels, um, he's a player that better off playing next to a partner with a winger close to him. So the idea with him, with Alan San Maximan, or him playing next to Callum Wilson, very exciting. Uh, if he you know, gets a couple of Gregs in him and thickens out a bit, he can be an absolute stud. Because I think he's a little bit on the scrawny side and may need a little work there uh, to, to, to play in the Premier League. But yeah, he's a very exciting player. Uh, one of those players where... 
when I watch him for Sweden, I wish Sweden was more fun because I know he can be very good. I wouldn't I wouldn't say he's going to be a 20 goal a season striker just yet, but he's got all the parts there to have a very, very good career. Hmm. Tanny asks, with the number of big boy strikers making their way to the league, could the next evolution of football be the return of the classic number nine goal scorer, Adrian? <laughs> what? Well, <sighs> I hope so, in a way. I, mm-hmm. I just think that it takes all sorts in football. You nice. can't all be... And in life. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. We need a little bit of everything. And, and now that we've gone into the era of five subs, right. surely every team needs to have a big man that they can either start and take off or a big man that they can bring on yeah. later on in the game when they go direct, when they start to yeah, miss out miss out the midfield and, and look to, to pump the ball along. The days maybe of the of the centre-half having to go up top, dead, surely, in the water. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a place for a big number nine in every every squad uh, at the moment. And I like Isak. He is an exciting player. Very unusual sort of to watch because you don't see that many sort of um, lanky players with as much skill as him. But what I think, even if he doesn't score a lot of goals, he'll create... He'll drag defenders away mm. to create more space for like the likes Harlem. of Wilson or or Sam Maximan. So yeah, Classic I think Bigma. it's a lot of money, but it's a lot of it's a lot of Isaac as well. Six foot four. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading. Get him on the catch up though. That's the message. So loads of catch up at the, at the Newcastle training ground. In contrast to the other grounds where it's banned. <laughs> but it's a it's a shame for Chris Wood because you know everyone kind of knew it was a bit of a stopgap to. Um, and you know he will be very much the understudy. So, for every exalted big man, think of the fallen big man. Okay, wise words, sunk a bit of perspective there. I don't think that move has actually officially gone through yet. Is that right? Not yet. Interesting to see as and when that's happened. Uh, the impact there, Newcastle, anyway, in fine form after their draw with Man City as they travel to Molyneux. Very good. Looking forward to enjoying those games and reviewing them with our guests on Monday morning. Of course, before that, as mentioned, Thursday night, we're going to do our draw reaction, and that'll be available as well Friday morning as a bonus podcast. Uh, Many, many thanks, though, to Carl and Adrian and Duncan and producer Charlie and you, listener, for today. Hope that's been of some help as we prepare for another terrific weekend of action. Have a great weekend, everybody. For now, from all of us here, it is goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.